Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? I'm fine. I was just uh, having sex. No. Oh, uh, really? Well, you know, first off, two two things about that. Number one, our subject today is sex. And okay. I wanted to jump right in because it shocked people. Oh, a Buddhist priest. He's talking about sex. He's having sex. Yes, I, I meant to, to make uh, a funny and, 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 and uh, shock people. But I have sex, you know. Now, first off, I want to tell people, please, if you haven't had dinner yet, don't picture this in your mind. I know, okay? I'm not <laughs> I, I don't the point I'm trying to make is Zen priests of Japanese lineages such as myself, we have sex. We do sexual things. We sometimes masturbate. We sometimes think about sex. We think about the opposite sex, and that's our subject today. Is it okay for Zen priests to think about sex? And what about sex? What about sex? What about sex? Sex is cool. Sex is fun. Sex. I, I've never sex understood makes the world why go around. organized. Well, it, it makes the world continue from generation to generation. I've never understood why organized religion is so obsessed about genitals. Well, uh, that's a good uh, question. Uh, why? Because you can get you in a lot of trouble, and it has, and it has gotten Zen priests, other Buddhist priests, in trouble. Uh, if your little Buddha in your pants runs amok, <laughs> uh, it, it causes problems. People get hurt, you know? Yeah, but come on. For the vast majority of people, th this is not a problem. Yet organized religion makes it into a problem, um, adding so much guilt to the idea of sex, for example. Well, yeah, uh, that, that's something we're going we're gonna to talk about today. What's the traditional idea about sex in Buddhism? Uh, why did that attitude develop? I would say for most people, some sometime in life, sex causes uh, problems, but it's worth it. Sex is yeah, a good thing, yeah. and and uh, it's why I have kids because of sex. You know, yeah, fair point. Um, if we look back at um, the Buddhist time in India, it's interesting. We say India, but it really wasn't India then, wasn't it? It was a whole bunch of separate states, um, but. Yeah. Is, is it Hinduism that has those huge phallic statues? Is that a lingon, it's called, these sort of signs of fertility? Yes, the big penis. And they also have yes. the uh, vagina temples. And we have that here in Japan, too, in the Shinto shrines. Shinto is a much earthier religion than Buddhism. And it's about fertility. It was about growing crops. So they have uh, Shinto shrines, uh, to worship the phallus and the vagina. And I have to tell you, even in Japanese Buddhism, it, more than uh, continental Buddhism, there's a certain openness to sex too. Uh, the Japanese uh, are a little more down to earth about that. I don't think that the idea of uh, celibacy for the priesthood ever took here as much as it did in, in places like uh, China, for example. 
Okay. Could could part of the Western attitude, and by Western I mean European and American, um, be an offshoot of Christianity's point of view on sex? So Western Buddhists think maybe celibacy is essential because Catholics think celibacy is essential. And well, in in history, we've had this image of monks in monasteries who were celibate, whereas they certainly were not all celibate, you know, if you go back in, in time in Europe. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm of Jewish heritage, and the, the joke in Jew, Judaism is, uh, unlike Christianity, Christianity, you're, you're not supposed to enjoy sex before marriage. And in Judaism, you're not supposed to enjoy sex after marriage. You know, that's everything. But in Buddhism, why? I could desire. see that coming. I could see that coming. Yeah, yeah. But uh, desire. Desire uh, was considered the root of all suffering. In Christianity, I think the emphasis was on purity. Uh, so there was something uh, about being close to the the heavens that one had to be self-denying and it's possible that the origin in traditional buddhism is pretty much the same the the emphasis was on not having desires being free of the wants of uh food uh to even be uh, socially active and have uh, many possessions to want wealth, but also sex was part of that. But there's another possible reason. It, it may be that um, Buddha, maybe he wasn't into it, and he felt that his followers uh, should also not be into it. And it's possible he felt that if his followers were having children who had families, that would take them away from being his good students. Good point. And also, when there's a lot of children running around, it's hard for people to meditate. It, it, well, it is. Except, except in our sangha, we welcome kids. We yeah. say if the kids come, you, we sit zazen with one eye open and one eye to keep make sure the kids are not in trouble. You sit with what is. But this is unusual in Buddhism. In, in, in uh, traditional Buddhism, monks were supposed to be celibate. Celibate was denying of the body's wants. Uh, when you denied the body's wants, you found a certain freedom. And you know what? All joking aside, I actually think that's a great thing. If someone finds their freedom by being able to put aside their desire for uh, sex, either same sex or opposite sex, we can talk about that today too. Both are found in, in Buddhism. Um, I think it's wonderful. But my teacher, Nishijima, had a very honest attitude about this for himself. He became celibate after the age of 50. Before 50, he was a married man and he had uh, a daughter. So I said, uh, Roshi, uh, do I uh, follow your example? Should I become celibate too? And he said, no, that's completely up to you. That's completely up to you. I became celibate after the age of 50 because I wanted to. But I don't think I could have at the age of 20 or 30. He was very open about it. Did, did his wife have anything to say about that decision? It was kind of a joke, and he didn't mean it this funny. But he he said kind of like I went to <laughs> I went to tell my wife, uh, and he basically said in, in Japanese, I went to tell my wife I want to be celibate, and she thought about it for a minute, and she said, "No big loss." 
So <laughs> <laughs> apparently they worked it out. And uh, after the age of about 55, uh, he was celibate for the rest of his life. The thing about desire, though, desire can be positive, it can be negative, but it yes. seems to me that quashing desire forcefully can be just as negative as succumbing to desire, can't it? Let's again say it depends on the person. I'm making jokes about celibacy, but if someone finds their freedom in celibacy, it's a wonderful traditional route. On the other hand, for others, it's a matter of balance. Don't be addicted to sex, just like you're not addicted to alcohol or anything else. No, but what I'm saying is that if people think that celibacy has to be, if they have to force it on themselves, that's not a choice. That they're looking at, they're looking at something around them that's saying that celibacy is what one needs to do. And if they have to force it on themselves, that doesn't seem very positive either. We, we want I, to get rid of desire by getting rid of the desire to desire, right? I don't want to talk about other people. If someone feels that they really need to force it, repress it, and they find their, uh, how to say, their road there, that's fine. Others of us, I'm, for example, a Western married Zen Buddhist priest of a Japanese tradition, we believe in balance. There's a place for sex. There's a place for enjoying sex. There's a place for having uh, a good time. But don't be <laughs> addicted to sex. Don't be... Don't be a uh, slave to pleasure. And don't... Look, if nobody gets hurt, don't use it as a place for aggression and violence. Don't use it as, as a way to take advantage of other people. Try not to lie to other people. Lying and sex go together, don't they? Who You know, <laughs> men. You know, we're dogs. You know, it's a, anything. Oh, you have lovely eyes. I don't care. Here, let's, let's have sex. Say anything uh, to have sex uh, sometimes, and we shouldn't. You, there should be honesty in sex. Uh, there should be healthy relationships, loving relationships. Uh, that's what it's about. So going back to Christianity and particularly Catholicism that influenced the West, um, it's not just even the idea of sex before marriage or not sex after marriage, etc. It's also the idea of not having a lot of partners. Is that a right. problem for Zen practitioners? Again, I can't talk about everyone else's life. I'm going to say if you're having a lot of partners and you're being too casual about it, maybe you're not taking it seriously enough. Maybe it's a matter of quantity over quality. Uh, I, well, I'm a you know, believer. We're, we're old people. We grew up in different times. Now people use things like Tinder on their phones to hook up for a one-night stand and consider that normal. Uh, things have changed an awful lot since you and I were in the in the dating age. Look, if you're running out and going to getting fast food and just stuffing your face one thing after another, it's just the same as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. I appreciate uh, that when someone's young and their hormones are raging and, uh, you know, a 20-year-old is going to do what a 20-year-old does. But when you get a little older... Settle down, find the right person, stick with a relationship through thick and thin. This is very important too. Let's talk about relationships, not just sex. Sure. You find a person, times get hard sometimes. 
don't go looking for the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Stick with it. Build depth. Build depth. There's something about even when the fires of passion have dimmed down a little, you find a richness. So let's emphasize quality over quantity, too. But there's a place for sex in, in Buddhism. And the Buddha knew this. You know how I know the Buddha uh, knew this? Ask me how the Buddha knew this. How do you know that the Buddha knew this? Because there's still Buddhism. If everybody who was a Buddhist <laughs> was celibate, it would have died out in the first generation. That's an excellent point. I just want to make a brief public service announcement. This episode of Zen of Everything is brought to you by Jundo Cohen's Marriage Counseling Service. And in this day and age, use a condom. Use pro- yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, not only the the other virus. I'm not even sure how we're half we're supposed to have sex anymore with this other thing. You wear a mask. What do you do? Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure. I got to wear goggles and a mask now and gloves. I'm not even sure how how to go about this. But uh, use protection. Uh, be safe. Uh, I have a, a teenager at home, so I just had that conversation with him a, a, a few weeks ago again. Uh, but for the Buddha, he had his priests and he had his lay followers. No joke about the lay followers. That's, <laughs> that's an old joke. But uh, yeah. it, you know, he knew that if those people were not working in their businesses, having children, uh, keeping it going generation after generation, there would be no Buddhism. So the celibate part was for those who were called to celibacy and the lay people would find their path another way. When it came to Japan, uh, the priests kind of, um, how to say, the Japanese have a wonderful sense that on the surface, you are, are as a priest and then you have your own private life. So even the parishioners used to look the other way a bit. You know, they knew that there was a woman maybe living in the temple with the priest. He, they weren't officially married, but she was the wife. They knew this. And I'm not saying everybody uh, had a, a, a lover, but um, many, many priests did. And about 150 years ago, it became officially accepted. It originally became officially accepted, actually, to weaken Buddhism. Really? Thinking that um, the desires of the flesh would weaken the faith of Buddhist priests? When uh, Shinto became really strong uh, in Japan about 150 uh, years ago, leading up to World War II, the nationalists and the Shintoists did things to weaken Buddhism. And one of the things they did is they said, oh, you priests, you can dress in regular clothes, you can grow your hair, you can eat meat, and you can now have uh, wives. And they thought by that by doing this, the priests would become worldly and lose respect. Uh, in my view, it's uh, the result was something similar to the Protestant Reformation. You ended up with people more like Protestant uh, clergy, ministers, who practiced Buddhism and had wives and family. And it actually made Buddhism better. Because these are now people who are outside the monastery and know about life. They can tell you about your personal problems because they have the same situation. They got kids, you have kids. They have wives, you have your wives. And these days, it's changing. Some of the male priests now have husbands. And some of the women priests now have uh, female partners. And do Japanese people accept that? Are they open to that? I would say or is it controversial? Li- they're a little behind uh, what's going on in Europe and America now. 
from what I understand, uh, looking on the outside, there was always a, a tendency of the Japanese to kind of look the other way. There was a lot of homosexuality in the monasteries, and they would explain it in certain ways that it's not really sex because it's between two people of the same sex. So it's somehow not sex. They, they explained it in many different ways, but it went on for centuries. There was homosexuality. Now I'm not saying for everybody again, there were celibate priests and there were priests who were sexually active. And some of them were active with same sex. These days, it's still rare for uh, a Japanese person to be openly uh, same-sex marriage, or there's no same-sex marriage yet in Japan, but it's unusual for someone to be open about their same-sex partner, but it's changing fast. And I think even in the priesthood, I'm seeing some openly uh, gay and lesbian uh, clergy appear here and there. And I think it's a wonderful thing. So you alluded to this earlier. One of the issues around sex in Zen is the many scandals that there have been where Zen teachers yeah. and teachers of other Buddhist uh, sects have sects, sorry, no pun intended, have taken advantage of some of the students because of their being in a position of power. And oh, maybe there are students who come to them who are maybe psychologically weak and unstable looking for something and these people take advantage of it. And oh boy. It, it almost makes you wonder, you know, I, I've read some of these stories and in many cases, it was an open secret in the sanghas where this has happened. And it makes mm. you wonder not just about the person who abused uh, students, but also about the rest of them who allowed it to happen. Oh, there were people who aided and abetted or looked the other way, sure. And there's no topic. This is a topic that at times has made me physically ill, that there are subjects that make me want to cry and, and be outraged. Whenever you have anyone in a position of authority, it can be a member of the clergy, it could be a Buddhist priest, it could be a rabbi, it could be a Catholic priest, it uh, could be a psychologist, any, a school teacher, anyone who's in a position of trust who uses their position to take advantage of the vulnerable, it's just wrong. It's criminal. And this has happened time and time again. You have people coming, for example, to a Buddhist group or other religious group who are confused and vulnerable. That's why they're there. They're looking for answers. And they, they find this guru or, or father figure or uh, someone who's supposed to be on their side. And that person uses that position to get sex from them. It's wrong. It's, it's just terrible. And it has happened not as much as people think. Well, we read about some of the high-profile cases. We don't know what's happening at other levels, so it, you can't really know how much it is happening. Well, I, I, I got a sense of this. It's a little bit like when the plane crashes, you forget the 100,000 planes that landed sure. safely. Yeah. So the worst cases do get the headlines, and those worst cases must not be excused or forgotten. But I want to remind people that there are hundreds of clergy, Zen clergy, Buddhist clergy out there who would not hurt a fly. And they get no yeah. headlines because of that. If you cause yeah. no harm, you get no headlines. 
So, but let's... the thing is, some of some of the cases are very high-profile teachers who've oh. been active for a long time, and oh. when you think about the the size of the groups involved, um, I don't want to mention any names, but uh, there was one Tibetan teacher who was in a very large international group. When you think that. In a group that size, there must have been lots of people who knew what was going on, yes, who were enabling the up. person to do this. Yeah. Um, this. This is all against the precepts, and it makes you wonder yes. how this whole thing keeps going and, and that people can pretend to be honest about their beliefs. It's a cult. People will yeah. uh, rationalize. They'll buy into it. They'll They'll say the teacher is beyond this world somehow so what looks like his sexual desire is actually a teaching or yeah. he's testing us all kinds of things that people will do to rationalize i do not mean to excuse those people at all their actions are criminal they're often uh, often accompanied not only by sexual but psychological abuse sometimes physical abuse financial yeah. abuse it's a cult it's wrong I don't care if it's in the Zen world or where it's happened. There was one Zen case in, uh, I haven't known many cases involving children, but there was a, a, a German uh, Rinzai priest who is now in prison for taking advantage of migrant uh, minor children. He had sex with uh, refugees. This person is the devil. Uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, now yeah. that now I've said that now I got to go the other way again. I want to say something else. We've had a tendency in Buddhism to lump everybody who has done a no-no of some kind with rapists, and you should not mix the two. There have been cases where adults who maybe shouldn't have or were married had an affair or fell in love. Yeah, And some of them are still married and still going 20 years later. So the relationships often really had some substance. But yeah. we should not take the predators, the the people who abused and, and took advantage of people, with the other group that maybe did not honor their marriage vows or their priestly vows. Yeah, Do not lump them all together. That's all I want no. to say. Fair point. So I guess Tree Leaf being an online sangha doesn't really have this sort of issue to the same level. Uh, we haven't had any scandals, period. And I'm very glad to say that. Now, I, I'd like to part of it. Is it because we're online? Well, uh, I guess you could have online sex. I don't know what we could have. Yes, you could have things. Well, well uh, there could be people who live in the same city that are both members and then meet up. That's entirely possible. But I don't think there are an awful lot of Tree Leaf members in, in the same places. Well, even so, I, I wouldn't uh, tolerate, tolerate it. Now, the, the, some of the Soto, uh, some of the Buddhist association, like the Soto Zen Buddhist Association, I don't want to misquote it, but there are rules for this. For example, it is recognized that people could be in a student-teacher relationship and start to develop feelings for each other. So the rule, at least for a while, was you need to end the relationship and have no contact for six months. If after six months you've ended the teacher-student relationship and the one person willingly wants to go back and be with the other person, then go ahead. That was okay. That, and I'm I, just going to play like confused advocate here because that just sounds ridiculous. If you're having uh, an amorous relationship with someone, 
They're saying you have to end that amorous relationship for six months to find out if you still love them six months later? Well, no, to protect the student-teacher relationship. Because okay. well, if, that sounds if, a... if, well, you shouldn't, a teacher and a student should not uh, I, have... I would say that you just have to end the teacher-student relationship. But I guess you can't, because no matter what, even if the student goes to another teacher, when they're with the lover who's a teacher, there's still the, the, the power of teacher and student, isn't there? Look, there are no perfect solutions here, but I think the point was to give people a cooling off period it, to, to make sure it wasn't uh, a situation of one people, one person taking advantage of the other. I think it's the best that someone could come up with. It's not a perfect yeah. solution. Okay. Well, it's complicated, isn't it? And, and that's sex why there's a precept about sex. Um, and that's why it has been a problem since the dawn of time of people having to deal with their sexual desires and other people and maybe other other people. You know, there are people, uh, especially in continental, very strict celibate Buddhism in, in China, who would listen to this podcast and just think that uh, it's the end of Buddhism, that uh, for a priest to be talking openly about him himself having sex and when you can have sex is just not Buddhism. And it is uh, revolutionary. I've compared it to the Reformation in Europe when the Catholics, the celibate clergy started to marry. Let's be honest. People have had sex since the beginning of time. How do I know that? Because we're still here. So... Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I don't see anything wrong with sex or priests having sex, but do it in a good way. And it's more, it's better if you do it good. Okay, Jundo, where do Nobody we go from here? Huh? Good sex. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.